Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. I'm so glad you could join us today. We have a really fascinating show. We have Michael Feely with us. First, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please check him out on, um, on YouTube. Uh, not on YouTube, on Google. He's a native storyteller, and his craft and his method of preserving history and passing it on generation to generation um, is quite phenomenal and will be uh, an enlightening experience for you. Also a reminder, check out the website, barbaradolong.com, for new information and insight and um, lots of new stuff every day, as well as where our schedule is, and uh, it'll let you know when our next show is and where we're headed next. And Mark has a fascinating show for tomorrow, so do check that out. And then Thursday, uh, we have Amit Swami on, as well, so it's a full week for us for for sure. Um, we have Mike, I, as I said before, Michael Feely with us, and he's written a book called Alchemy of the Gods. And I promise you, it's a fascinating book. I promise you that you will not be able to put it down, and I promise you, you won't be able to argue with some of his with some of his material. It's it's quite uplifting and enlightening and insightful. He is a trained police investigator, and in his book, he reveals to you that humans are not from Earth, but from another constellation entirely. He's also uncovered that the pyramids and other mysterious monoliths around the world carry an encrypted message, and that there are higher communications held within the likes of the Nazca lines, crop circles, hieroglyphic language, and the Moai heads of Easter Island. He makes astounding revelations about the mystery of the elongated skulls of Stonehenge, Egypt, Russia, Peru, and Malta, with a new interpretation of their meaning and formation. 
plus much, much more. Just who were these ancient gods, worshipped, idolized, and documented by our ancient ancestors? And are they extraterrestrial beings from other far-off worlds, or are they simply the elder race of man paying their root races a return visit, giving them tools for inner transformation? The book is amazing. It will, it will, it's the kind of book you want to read a little bit at a time so that you can really absorb what he's saying and apply it to yourself and your own life and your own enlightenment and your own transformation as far as a spiritual entity. And um, go back and reread it with gaining greater insight every time you repeat it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful book to have. I recommend you read it during the day because if you, re- if you read it at night, you won't be able to put it down and then your sleep cycle's ruined. But it's a fabulous book. I had a, a tremendous, it was a joy to read and will be a joy to reread um, at some time when I, when I have some time to read for pleasure and can do it slowly, which is the way this book really should be read. So welcome to the show, Michael. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. No, thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for that. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, what I, I know this is the culmination of a lot of it, research for you, but what, what was it that set you on this pathway of, of understanding the, um, the messages that are hidden within the physical? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I worked out a long time ago that basically that there's a secret and it's not been handed out to the crowd. And in order to, to get your copy of that secret, you must obtain truth, knowledge and wisdom. And I also realized that if you seek uh, the temple door and you find it and you knock loud enough, then you'll become the philosopher's stone. So in other words, you will be a, a gatekeeper for secret knowledge. My, my love of the ancient world and my love of history and my love of working things out has always been with me, always been a part of me. And of course, in, in a previous career, I was very, very much into evidence and investigating and following the evidence and looking where the evidence takes you and not going to any scene of crime or anything like that with any, any, any precondition of, of what might have happened, but instead look at the evidence and see what the evidence tells you. And I became, as I say, a trained investigator in doing that, brought many, many successful things to court and had many, many successful prosecutions as a result of following that evidence. So when I, because of paranormal and supernatural things, when I did eventually leave that chosen career in 2009, then my, my desire to investigate and look into things just simply changed from the world of crime and the mindset of a criminal to the mindset of the secret societies and the secret ancient mysteries of the past. So that's really what got me into it. And I, I also realized that when you walk past a church, when you walk past a cathedral, when you see these wonderful monuments and monoliths, that there's a language, there's a hidden language. And I wanted to know what that language was saying. So I made it my business to, to knock on that temple door and it opened for me. Well, I, I've, I've often wondered about all of these ancient <clears throat> monoliths, and, and it, it, there, there has always been the realization that there was a, a far advanced culture that was here 
and it, it kind of bothered me knowing that it was thousands and thousands of years old. <clears throat> Why were there no records as to what 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 and who they were that created all these things? And uh, you know, so many people talk about oh, they're looking for the the um, the hidden chamber under the Sphinx, and they're look they're looking for written material. And written material probably doesn't stand the test of time. It makes great sense that their message is encoded into the structures that they have left behind. And that's what you discovered. And that's where things started to fall into place. And it makes great sense that the message is there, but you have to be able to step beyond... I mean, I want a book to what is the message and, and what is the purpose and, you know, what else is here? There there has to always be subtlety behind, you know, layer and layer and layer of consciousness behind everything. And basically, basically when people looked at the Sphinx and looked at the Great Pyramids, they, they were trying to archaeologically describe them but but not looking for a message that they represented. And you found that message, which I thought was fabulous. No, absolutely. You see, as we say in pre-show, uh, the, the, the likes of archaeology won't find the answers because the answers are not in the ground. And you may find Saxon and Roman coins, and you may have also recreate Roman and Saxon villages. But when you start looking at the, the real ancient mysteries, they're not in the ground. And if you look in the wrong place, you're never going to find so what, I, what I've found is that the answers to these things are actually within the oracles of stone themselves. When you say, why didn't they leave records? Well, they did. Because they've signed every single stone on the Great Pyramid. And every single stone on the Great Pyramid in the outer casing has the signature of the builders. And that goes back to the elongated school race who are an advanced spiritual race. When you look at the life of the Sphinx, this, this advanced elongated school race, who were known as the Sons of God, which basically means the enlightened ones, who took the daughters of men, who are the dim lights. Basically, the Sphinx is the two journeys of man, and the elongated school, school race are symbolized by the lion. Now, the Sphinx is the two journeys of man, which is the left-hand path or the right-hand path is, is the matter or the spiritual. Now, the Sphinx of Egypt contains the Book of Revelation of the Bible because the Giza Plateau is the original Bible. And the things that we see in the Bible now originally come from Egypt via the Hebrew, via the Kabbalah interpretation. So the Sphinx itself is really the journey, the two journeys of man. The riddle of the Sphinx relates to the number nine, which is the lesser worlds, and that's why we have nine pyramids because the emanations of the nine lesser worlds, or the lesser worlds, is basically number nine in three sets of three, which is why you have the Giza Plateau, which has three sets of three of pyramids. Now, the pyramid itself contains the word Christ in its mathematics. The Sphinx, the face of the Sphinx is Mother Nature, that the Egyptians called Neta, which is time and space, which is where we get the word net and different things. And the pyramid shape itself represents divinity within man. 
And how does that happen? Well, the pyramid is really a cubic design and three-dimensional matter, the fabric of which is the cube. So when you get the cube, which is matter, and you take the top four corners off the cube, it reveals the geometric shape of the tetrahedron, which is really divinity within matter. So those who have attained the Godhead, those who have received a Christ consciousness, though those who have attained the initiation level <clears throat> are represented by the pyramid shape, which is also the pentagram, which is the number five, which is the micro of the macro. The macro is the number 10, the micro is the number five, which is the pentagram, which represents the one that rises above the four. In other words, the fifth element, which is risen above the four elements, which is also contained within the pentagram. And that is why it is the symbol of the mysteries and the symbol of the Pythagorean mysteries. So you have all of these different things that really talk about how to, shall we say, go beyond the material world, how to go beyond the third dimension, how to get beyond and transmute and transition the animalistic nature of humanity. And that is what the Giza Plateau, the Sphinx and the Pyramids are telling us. Well, <clears throat> I think that that you you have made the, you made it very simple, um, and and I think it's important for people to understand that that we have the potential within us to get to this understanding, to get to the um, to understand the messages that have been left to us, and. And, you know, they've stood through time, sometimes 40,000 years or more. And it's difficult for a lot of people to grasp the story that, that has come out of your work because um, it, it does give us an understanding that we, we, in our own physicality, represent the journey that we have to be, go through, but, but on a spiritual level not on a physical level. And I think that's so many people, you know, do, do pilgrimages and, and try to gain in, in enlightenment by going places. And the reality is they have to go within to understand the messages that are there. Um, you, you, you speak about the messages left by, um, you know, the, the Nazca lines and crop circles and, and the hieroglyphic language as as well and there there are there are those those messages that are left there for and it, the phrase keeps coming up with eyes to see and ears to hear because it's there it's just a matter of embracing the message that they are giving energetically um and i loved i loved the the fact that you went into also uh the the element of sound and how sound was used by the ancients to create a lot of these um, edifices. And it's something that people are, are beginning to understand, but they aren't all the way there yet. So that, so that it feels as though the egg has been cracked and people are beginning to understand <coughs> and embrace the philosophy that you're putting forward. 
No, of course, and, and, and you are perfectly correct in saying that everything is within, because what is outside of us is, is merely a projection of what is inside of us. And everybody has this this potential within them, but, but society and religions and the establishment are teaching people to look outside of themselves, which again, as we've just said, you know, if you look in the wrong place, you will never find what you're looking for. You will never find the hidden treasure because you've been given the map that is wrong. Now, when, when you, when you were just said that phrase about those with the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear, when I looked at the Egyptian Rosetta Code, I worked that out in relation to mathematics and the Rosetta Code. And, and this is how I did it. Now, when you look at the likes of Osiris, Osiris is the green man. When you look at the likes of the emerald tablet, obviously emerald is green. So the mm -hmm. colour green is 528 hertz. Okay. Now, what I did is, is I looked at the, the, at the mathematical figures of 528 and I divided them. 5 divided by 2 divided by 8, which gives you 0 0.3125. Now, 0 0.3125 as a fraction, mathematical fraction, is written 5 over 16. Now, 5 over 16 can be expressed as 1 over 4 plus 1 over 16. Now, what I did when I, when I got that mathematical formula that I'd worked out is then I then looked at the mathematical fractions of the Egyptian I, or the Egyptian I fractions. And what I realized after looking at that and, and coupling that and marrying that with my formula is that 1 over 4 relates to the eye and 1 over 16 relates to the ear. So in other words, those of the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear will work out these meanings, which is exactly what I did just based on the numbers 5 to 8. So it is encrypted within the Egyptian Rosetta Code that those of the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear will come into this knowledge. Now, when you look at the Bible, and you look at Matthew 13, 13, it says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So, again, Egypt, Bible, perfect comparison. The eyes that can see, the ears that can hear. And this, this, is, this is there in plain sight, even though it is encrypted, it is there for people to work out and understand. And it is protected because it is sacred. It is protected because these people who protected it didn't always want certain individuals or certain groups, such as the priesthoods, to understand, understand this sacred mystery either. But those who have the eyes to see and the ears that can hear will understand the ancient meanings. So it is, I'm not saying it is easy. I just have a habit of being able to see numbers or see symbols, and it speaks to me in, in a deeper way than than, than it would ordinarily to, to most people. Well, obviously, you know, you you were able to, to absorb something that, that millions of people haven't been able to understand, but and you put it forth so easily that that it. That it's amazing. I mean, this, this, the pyramids and the Sphinx and and the Nazca lines, I'm sure all go back much further than science has said. 
because it feels to me as though, it, and it feels to me, and I have no proof, but it feels to me as though um, humanity as a whole has been working towards a place where they can evolve to absorb this kind of information and then become who we should be, who we should become. Um, and and it, it does feel as though time is is speeding. It, it feels to me as though time is speeding up, and so awakening on many levels is is happening to people all over the world, which is fascinating. And your book is very timely because it does give you an understanding that that there there were ancients that were leaving these messages for us, but who were these ancients who had this kind of knowledge and left the message and then disappeared? I mean, who were they? <clears throat> well, first of all, I've actually dated the Great Pyramid through Egyptian star codes at 73,440 years of age. And that was using Egyptian sacred science, which is the stars. Now, the Hebrews took that knowledge and they created their lunar calendar. They also put this knowledge and hid it in what we now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Cumberland Cave Scrolls. Now those Cumberland Cave Scrolls were taken by the Knights Templar and they were hidden and I found where they hid them which is in Roslyn Chapel in Scotland. And I know exactly where the Knights Templar hid this sacred knowledge because I've worked it out. And I took a, a Star of David symbol, put it over the map of Scotland I then marked where Roslyn was, and then I took that and put it on the floor plan of Roslyn Chapel and marked where Roslyn should be there, and that's exactly where the Knights Temple have hidden the Cumberland Cave scrolls that contain this Egyptian knowledge. So, based on that, the Great Pyramid, which I can prove, is 73,440 years of age as of now. In terms of who built them, as I said, there was a race of beings called the Sons of God, and they were the elongated school race, and they took this knowledge and they took it throughout the world and beyond the world because there's pyramids and obelisks on the moon, on Venus, on Mercury, uh, on all of these different planets of the solar system and on Mars as well. They basically operated from the seventh sphere or the seventh plane of existence, which is the God consciousness. And they encrypted within their design, they, they, they built, the, built these monuments using three-dimensional mid-air acoustics, which is basically levitation. And they were able to create laser beams through sound, which is how they were able to carve with such, such beautiful precision these, these bricks, these rocks. So they were built by the Sons of God, the elongated skulls, and when they realized that black magic was taking over their power, when they realized that black magic was taking over the world and devaluing the sacred knowledge, they basically went inside these monuments, such as the Great Pyramid, did their last initiations, and then dematerialized. And when you see the likes of some of the shafts, such as the Queen's Chamber, the shafts are sealed, and that's because they wanted to insulate the knowledge within these monuments. Now, when you go to certain places on the Great Pyramid, and you say a certain word at the correct time, in the correct vibration of voice, there are mysterious stones that just slide open. And there's one of them 
on the top of the Great Pyramid, south facing. Now that leads 980 feet into the ground. Now just so the audience can actually get some kind of uh, comparison for that, that's almost the height of the Eiffel Tower down. And that is accessible by a, a stone that slides open exactly 7 feet and you go down 980 feet. Now inside the Great Pyramid there are many rooms, such as in the Sphinx and, and other places, that look, you can see them with some of the ultrasound images, but you can't get into the rooms because they, they are apparently sealed. However, again, they are voice activated by certain words at a certain frequency. And if you know the word and you know the frequency, then the stones slide open to give you access to the rooms. So a lot of the, the ancient things were, were built for sound, uh, sound activated, and the shapes of these, the, the different geometric shapes are not only the mind of God, but certain symbols, certain shapes actually make you leapfrog to higher levels of creation, higher dimensional frequencies. And that is why some pyramids have indentations, because it changes the octave, it changes the sound, and they're able to bypass into the higher levels of the astral plane. So it is sound orientated, but there's many, many different reasons for the pyramids, but basically they are encouraging us to know thyself and to learn that the kingdom of God is within. And when you realize this and you become the kingdom of God within, you are represented by the pyramid because the pyramid represents divinity within matter. And you are the matter. You are the cube. You are the box. And if you want to step outside the box, then you need to make certain realizations of who and what you are. They, they also, I think in your book, you said something about some of those... Uh, tubes, they, uh, the, the, the tunnels that, that are carved in into, um, I think the Queen's Chamber or the King, I forget where they, but they, they would set babies into them to um, raise their frequencies? That's correct. You, you, have, you have some of the smaller chambers that are at the top of the, of the Great Pyramid. And uh -huh. they're, they're basically, uh, should we say, sound chambers. And when, when, when you put babies and small infants into these sound chambers, they also did this while the baby was still in the womb by uh, gestation techniques. But when you introduce a certain sound, you can actually change the shape of matter. The higher the frequency, the different shape. So you, you have all of these different shapes through frequency. And when you look at the likes of Stonehenge and other monoliths around the world, you will see at certain locations there are indentations in some of the rocks that are the same size as the human skull cup because they used to put their head into these, these, these holes inside the monoliths in order to receive the crystalline energies that were going through them, influxing through them. So yes, there, there, there is sound. In the beginning was the word and the word was sound. And when you look at the word stone, the word stone in Hebrew means father and son. And when you further analyze the word son, it gives you sonic, it gives you sound, it gives you res, son, and resonance. They are talking about the universal creation, which is sound. Now, when you look at the likes of the basis of, of our modern day physics, 
which is largely influenced by Einstein's E equals MC squared. Einstein, in, in, in that famous equation, was only given us half the, the answer. Because what he didn't do, or what he failed to do, or what he deliberately did, was to only use the equation for dynamic mass. He didn't use the equation for static mass. Had he done so, that famous equation would not have been E equals MC squared, it would have been E equals M, energy equals mass. That then leads you on to vortex space, rotational spheres, and it is those rotational spheres that create sine waves that are sound waves that are creation, because every sound has a shape, and everything that we see in creation in this universe is the result of a converged sound. So Einstein's theory should have actually been E equals M, which then would have been the blueprint for creation, which I managed to condense into an A5 sized piece of paper. <laughs> it, it, this sort of corresponds to the Solfeggio um, resonance that, that the um, ancient monks used in their chanting and how different hertzes address different parts of our brains to unlock things? Absolutely. Uh, the, the choir of the church relates to the sound waves of the brain. When you start looking at churches and these wonderful buildings, they are an expression of the creative force in either design, in architecture, in sound, in song, in chants, and in fire, i.e. the candles. They are an expression of God because geometric shapes are the mind of God and as I say, each shape is a sound that corresponds to a different level of creation and if you match that sound, you are elevated to that level of creation and that is no different with music, with these ancient cultures, with the Nazca lines, with the hieroglyphs, with all of these things that we've already discussed in, in terms of the sound, the creation, the word of God, the universe and that is exactly what they're doing they are elevating themselves to a higher level of creation got you I know that Solfeggio uh, music has been around for a long time and have been fascinated with the different Hertz levels how they do address different aspects of consciousness and um, have been fascinated by that but you take it, you know, four steps. You take it, you take it a mile down the road, and and make a greater sense of it, which is which is phenomenal. Um, there, there is the element here of of your book keeps addressing the fact that that rather than you know, as I said before, rather than looking outside of ourselves, we should be looking inside of ourselves because there's there's I, my term magic in there there is power in that we have inside of us and our brains you know they say and our dna i i do believe that that when we incarnate um we bring dna from past lifetimes and and future lifetimes in with us and that that code is in our dna and it's a matter of um they call they call a lot of our dna garbage dna and, and i don't believe it's garbage I think if you if you want to go back to some of the ancient stuff and and you know the Hall of Records and stuff like that, I, I believe we carry the Hall of Records in our DNA. Yes, d d DNA and blood 
remembers uh -huh. music, it remembers sound, and water remembers information. So inside us, we have this database in the fluids of the body. So when you start talking about the mind, which is really the Golgotha, the place of skulls, it is truly the temple of wisdom. And, you know, you have the, 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 the anterior fornics, which are the two pillars of Hercules. You have the likes of, say, Golgotha, which is the skull, which is where we become enlightened. We have the Holy of Holies in there, which is the hippocampus, which means seahorse. We then have these ancient depictions of the likes of Poseidon and Neptune, Neptune riding on a seahorse. You have, in the likes of the Bible, saying that on that day, people stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west. Now, when you look at the, the, the medulla oblongata in the brain, there are two olives, which is the Mount of Olives split in two, and one is on the east, one is on the west. So it's talking about the brain. When you talk about Lebanon, and it says in the Bible, come with me from Lebanon, uh, look from the top of Amana, from the top of Senior and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards and that is in the book of songs now what that really means is lebanon comes from leban which means white it is talking about the white matter of the brain and then amana is the throat uh, which projects breath from the nerve center of the body which is then allowed downward into the into the, the centers of, of the spine so you have the the temple which is the is the mind which is the brain which is the head and you have the key to that temple which is the tongue, because the tongue is where we do, where we speak, where we have the vibrations, and that opens up the temple itself. And I've experienced this personally within Stonehenge, when my co-host on a particular day, with certain voice techniques, certain voice octaves, managed to make the stones sing. You know, when we look at when, when God, the creative force, decides to manifest and reveal itself, it appears as a dot, which some people call the monad. That dot is the revelation of God saying, I'm here. If you move a, a dot in any direction, it becomes a line. So when you have the horizontal line, it represents the force of God. When you look at speech, in Hebrew, speech has a meaning called leadership. Now, leadership has its ups and downs. So then we have a vertical line. So you now have a horizontal line which is thought, and you have a vertical line which is speech, which gives us the cross. Now there's a, there's a gap in between thinking and speaking, which is called divine nothingness. Okay? In that divine nothingness, we can retreat to silence. It is our decision if we should speak what we've just thought. Should we bring a divine harmony and divine knowledge into the world? or shall we destroy somebody by what we say? Now, within that divine nothingness is when we actually choose whether or not to do that. So you have thought and speech, which is, which is basically God, but the tongue is the key to your temple, and you are the one that owns that temple. Now, within your throat chakra, you have your Adam's apple. And if you misuse your words, if you misuse the divine gift of speech, then you are misusing or taking a bite from the apple, the Adam's apple, and you are the downfall of man. So all of these ah. things that are, that are biblical and monolithic are really talking about the human body and the mind and how we are on the journey of the dark astral light or the light 
astral light, you know, the, the black and white checkered floor in the of masonry. It is everything within us, and it is giving us the key to unlock ourselves. And that is what the ancients and, and the Bible and all of these are really telling us at their deepest levels. So, so actually, a lot of our myths are really allegorical. Um, and uh, Atlantis and Lemuria um, are allegories for parts of our, our consciousness as opposed to yeah. continents. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, it's all allegorical because God, gods and, and God names are magic formulas because when you look at the Kabbalah and different things, that they have systems of exchanging letters for letters, exchanging letters for symbols, taking letters out of one word to create another word. And basically, they're all magical formulas to reach a certain level of consciousness. What is Atlantis? What is the biblical flood? What is Noah's Ark? It is nothing to do with Earth. And that is why you need to look to the stars, the sacred science. You see, every 25,920 years, we have what is known as the procession of the equinox, which is basically a finger post for the advancement of humanity. And it starts off in one sign, and it goes all the way around and comes back again, over just over 25,000 years later. Now, during that 25,920 years, there will be seven different pole stars. Now, each of those pole stars represent one of the islands of Atlantis. Now, when the pole star changes, the previous one is said to sink in the celestial waters. Now, after the seventh island has sank, those are the seven islands of Atlantis that have sank into the celestial waters. So Atlantis was never on Earth. Atlantis is in the sky. When you look at the biblical flood, again, it is talking about the celestial waters. And Noah's Ark is the Ark of Heaven. That then brings into Nibiru of the Anunnaki story, which again is the Ark of Heaven. It is not a planet. So all of these things are talking about the celestial waters, the changing of the pole stars, and the procession of the equinox, which marks an advancement of humanity. They are not earthly events. And I acknowledge, yes, there are floods, there are tsunamis, there are places that become flooded, but in relation to the biblical story, in relation to the Anunnaki Nibiru story, in relation to the story of Noah's Ark, it is the celestial waters of heaven that they were referring to, not something that happened on earth. I, I think I was fascinated with how you investigated um, the, the uh, cities and, and places that, that supposedly were washed over with a flood and and proved pretty conclusively that there was no massive flood. There there couldn't have been because the histories of a lot of these different countries and, and, and uh, areas uh, just, you know, it, it never gave an indication that there was, you know, even heavy rain, let alone a flood. No, I mean, it shows, history shows us, because they continue to document earthly events and their own civilization events, 
that there were civilizations there during the time of the so-called biblical flood, and one of one of them was the fifth dynasty of Egypt, and they've not mentioned the flood. They're still here, you know. According to to the Bible, you know, the, the, we we had Noah and his family who who survived the flood. I mean, what what we have really are the four corners of earth, which replicate the four corners of heaven, and within the twelve zodiac signs. You know, you have these wheels of time, really, and then the zodiac signs, the twelve zodiac signs, they are the four triads. Now, when you put the four triads together, it makes a square. So when you complete the full zodiac circle, you are squaring the circle. Now, you extend that to the great year, which is in the procession of the equinox. What they're talking about are the, the chariots of Ezekiel, where the chariot is basically the solar system and the wheels are the orbital motion of the planets of the solar system. They're talking about heavenly movement. They're talking about certain key signs in the sky, the celestial narrative, that indicate certain events on Earth. And that is the original sacred science because the first thing that man ever observed was the stars. Now science is all about observation and, and, and gaining data from the observation. And we did that with the stars. So, because they were able to read the celestial narrative, and they were able to say that at certain times of the year this will happen, at certain times this will happen, in a hundred years this will happen, their people believed them to be gods. But what they were doing was reading the stars. Now, just imagine in ancient times, you know, you went to your people and you say, in June and July the rivers of the Nile will rise and your crops will grow. In September and August the waters will recede and your crops will die but in March and April next year they will grow again your people are thinking how does he know that because you are seeing and witnessing with your eyes the predictions and prophecies coming true but they were reading the stars and the effects of the stars and those are the original prophets the ones who are able to prophesize the future by the movement of the stars and that is the true sacred science well, when you come to especially the South American um, pyramids, which, you know, were never under ice and, and you know, were, were pretty, pretty much alone for thousands of years, does that explain why their, their observatories and stuff like that, um, they, they can't understand what they were for? Because, you know, the South American pyramids never um, never went through a time of um, being populated, as far as I can see. So their, the population for those areas had to be even before the last ice age, I would, I would gather. They, they were. Again, if, if, you, if you look at, you have this, the same people, the same race, the elongated skull race, the sons of God, who went across the world. So it's the same knowledge base in different parts of the world that was interpreted in a different way based on, on the level of knowledge of that civilization. But it is the same knowledge base that expanded. Now everywhere that you find these pyramids, monoliths, monuments, that is where this race disembarked. And 
when you see pyramids and different things, they are databases of secret knowledge. As I say, it doesn't just belong to Earth, it belongs to other planets of the solar system as well. So we had we had this basically the, the, this system that is far older than, than history tells us. It is far older than you know your ancient aliens TV show and your History Channel will tell you, <clears throat> because they are wrong in their calculations of the age of these things. So they are much 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 older than people believe. And and some say to me that how can you claim that Egypt is the epicenter of knowledge? And there's other civilizations that are older than Egypt and I say to them you are going on the mainstream calculation of how old Egypt is Egypt is far older than you realize okay. <clears throat> and it is the epicenter of knowledge now in geometry the center of any geometric shape you have what is known as the gold vibration that is why gold is so revered because it is believed to be for one the sun or the vibration of the sun but also the center of geometry which is the mind of God now when you get the, the great pyramid capstone the gold capstone when that is returned it will be the exact center of Earth's land mass it will be the gold vibration at the center of Earth these places are not just there because they look nice <clears throat> they are there because they are testament and silent witness to the legacy of the wisdom and knowledge that once reigned upon the planet so uh, I think one of the other areas that I was fascinated with was um, the Moai and how how they were um, uh, their, their construction was exact and they were facing eastward what is that telling us well east is, is obviously where the sun rises so uh -huh. east east is considered illumination <clears throat> so when you look at what we call the east we call it the orient or people from the East are Oriental. So what is that telling us? That we must orientate ourselves to illumination to the East. That is what the edge of Easter Island were facing East for. It is to orientate themselves to the Orient, to the East, the place of illumination. And you have a thousand Easter Island statues. The number thousand is symbolic because a thousand in sacred science relates to the conqueror and what that means is the master of self again the conscious godhead human why can you only see the heads of Easter Island because they're asking you not to concentrate on a, on a five sense consciousness they're asking you to work on your divine mind which is the communication to the higher levels of existence so don't concentrate on the five sense consciousness because the only limit to wisdom is the limitation in the vessel that is to receive that wisdom if you are initiated that simply means that you have expanded yourself in every way through your nerve endings through your organs through your body through your mind 
and you are able to take higher levels of frequency knowledge and information. That is what an initiation really is. And if you've done that, and if you've done the work on yourself, then you are able to understand and accept and tolerate the undiluted divine frequencies. And that is what the Eds of Racer Island are telling us, to work on the divine mind and not on a five-sense consciousness, which is really a prison for the soul. Oh, absolutely. And every, every, every part of, of what they're doing, again, is a significant, a significant detail. But we have to look into it and we have to piece it together. And we can't... Uh, originally, when I was looking into these things, I was, I was looking into civilizations as their own individual identity, their own in individual entity. And I soon realized that actually they're all talking about the same things, uh, the exact same things, but in different ways. When you look at the, the recorded 4,200 religions of the world, when you look at their epicenter, and I promise you and guarantee this, they are all talking about the same thing. But what they're doing is they're arguing over what separates them and not talking about the things that unify them. And if they were to do that, the world would change relatively quickly. Because every single one of them, if I was to, to present you now a hundred or a thousand ancient books and take you all around the world and show you every single monolith and monument and pyramid that we found, if I was to take you to the planet of the solar system where you find the same monoliths and pyramids, and I was to say to you that I can actually reduce all of this to one word, and that word would be thyself. Mm -hmm. That is what they are telling you. The key is within you. And it is for you to unlock the door to the temple, which is the mind which connects to our Father, who heart in heaven, which is the universal mind. And when yeah, we do that... That's where, that's where a lot of people, um, it, to my mind, restrict themselves. The, yes, the universal mind, absolutely. But they seem to want to uh, diminish it to a particular, quote-unquote, God, and I, the, the, the purpose of the universal mind is not to be worshipped, but to be absorbed. Yes. You see, the, the, the great mistake that people are making is that they are believing the teachings, they are believing that they are nothing more than flesh and blood who will, who will perish if they don't worship a certain system. And that they are, they are completely being misaligned with the truth. And they are being taught that they've already found the truth, so they don't need to continue looking. When you look at the, the God of the Bible, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh, or YHWH, which is really a tetragrammation. We, add, we added vowels so we could pronounce them. But it's YHWH, which is the, the, the God of the Bible which is Hebrew, which becomes Jehovah in Latin. That is not God. It is the breath of God. Because yod he wu he is the fire and the water and the air of human breath. So YH is to inhale and WH is to exhale. If you give, you shall receive. It is talking about breath. Now, that is the Holy Spirit. Why does the Sphinx have no nose? 
because the Holy Spirit is breathed into the nostrils. And if you have no nose, you are disconnected from God. You are disconnected from the Holy Spirit. That is what it is telling us. When you look at the word Jesus Christ, Jesus means the divine breath or the circular breath of God. Now, the mystics tell us that the union between God and man on earth is best affected by the vehicle of breath. We see in the Bible that it tells us that Jesus is the bridge between man and God. So all of these things that we are worshipping as God, as the absolute power, is not God, but it is the breath of God. And through lack of understanding, people are worshipping magical formulas. They are not worshipping the absolute power, which is the deity of creation. <clears throat> that is what is happening. And we are subduing ourselves and we are losing our divinity because we are following the wrong captains of our own ship. The word worship comes from workship. You are the vessel that you must work on. And when people begin to, to become wise and start to understand that it is not to fear God, it is not to fear the Lord, it is to understand what the word fear originally meant, which is to understand and to know. So these deities are not asking for us to be scared of them, they are asking for us to understand and to know them. Because when we do, we realise who they are and what we are. And until we do that, we are, as I got in a dream, the phrase, prisoners of the men of the sand. And what that means, it comes from biblical scripture, which I didn't know until I had the dream. It basically, it, it comes, the, 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 the people of the men of the sand in the Bible are referred to as the foolish who walk amongst the people. When will you be wise? It is saying, when will you understand the truth? Ah. We, are let, we are letting captains steer our ship in the wrong direction. I think uh, my late husband, um, Patrick Cook, uh, says something often. I don't know if it, if it was his or if he got it from somewhere else. But he, he, he said people have to remember that, that we are who we have been waiting for. Let's, let's, analyse the, let's analyse the word remember. Okay. Re, re means to go back to an original state. And uh -huh. member contains the, word em, contains the word ember. Now, ember is a spark off the original central fire, which is what we are. So if you imagine that the, the, the original central fire is the creative force, and we are sparks of that original creative force. So when we uh -huh. remember, we go back to our original state. So we must remember who, who we are. Makes perfect sense. Um, with with this, the sons of God, um, the elongated skull, they obviously have moved on. They are no longer with us. But but we have, we find their their skulls um, scattered all over the world. Are the skulls there? to remind us of what they actually were or they, what are yes 
that they are they are found at, at, at the major sacred sites because that is where they had residence. Some of them, as I say, dematerialized, so there'll be no trace of them. But they are still around and they are coming back. And, I, and I've and I've seen one of them on a. Should we say I've seen one of them? That they are they are coming back. Now, when you look at the Bible and he talks about the sons of God taking the daughters of men. As I said, the sons of God are the enlightened, the daughters of men are the dim lights. However, they will both come together to be the building blocks of the golden age. Now, what, what it is telling us is that the sons of God created through the daughters of men a physical genetic line in order for them to reincarnate at a future time. And they are reincarnating, or have reincarnated, to re-emerge this sacred ancient knowledge back into the world. Now, as I said, 73,440 years of age is what I've dated the Great Pyramid as. And there is a specific date inside the Great Pyramid that relates to us. And that is the year 2001 AD. The year 2001 AD is the beginning of the 17th 360-year cycle of what is now the Hebrew calendar, which was taken from Egyptian star codes. The 17th 360-year cycle is when this knowledge was time-capsuled to be re-emerged into the world. And what was the date? 2001. And that is a specific date that I have found inside the Great Pyramid. So our generation now are the ones that were chosen to be the flame bearers of knowledge from the ancient past. Because that is, this is the generation that things were timed to change, for timelines to change, for us to experience that in physical ways, such as time speeding up, which is called the quickening. Because uh -huh. these things are emerging and people are now starting to realize you know, where, where's the day gone? Where's the week gone? You know, Monday blends into Tuesday, which blends into Wednesday, and, and where, where's, where's the differentiation between the two? There isn't any because time is speeding up, or the concept of what time is is speeding up. And this is now the generation that all this was timed to reawaken. So we are quite honoured and blessed and privileged that we were chosen to continue with the flame. There, there has been, um, I, I don't want to call it a prophecy, but it, it kind of comes as one, that in 2024 there is something scheduled for the Gobi Desert on a spiritual level. Have you, have you heard that? <coughs> Yeah, I, I always I always tell people to be slightly cautious of, of, of dates. Not that yeah. something's not gonna happen, but because time is changing and because time can change relatively quickly and we can actually change future events by what we do now, I tend to find that dates tend to become irrelevant and, and it and it makes people extremely disillusioned. So what I say is that we are now in a time of great change. It will happen in divine timing. And whether that's 2023, 20, 24, 25, 26, 2032, 20, 2050, whenever 
it is going to happen because it has been prophesied and it has been documented that it will happen. So try not to get too hung up on dates because it leads to disillusionment which then causes deflation which then makes people yeah. think, oh, it's not true, then is it? So just, just be assured, just be assured that this is now the time of great change and we are here to witness it, whatever date, whatever day, whatever time that turns out to be. There, there are, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and, the, uh, you know, there, there are so many old um, records being found and brought into the light. And while, while people read them literally, there are, are obviously um, different interpretations to them. Uh, and one of them was the Copper Scrolls. And uh, I, I know that it, it has been said to be a treasure map for literal treasure, I'm wondering if there is a spiritual treasure there in implied that people aren't understanding. Yes, I mean tre treasure maps tend to refer to the treasure of the mind, which is the gold of uh -huh. the mind, which is the illumination of the mind. So when you look at the you know the, the symbology of, of, of treasure maps, X marks the spot. It's talking about the seat of enlightenment, which is inside the mind, which is inside. The true temple of God. So that that it can, we always have, you know, a physical part, a spiritual part, but it tends to be a spiritual meaning that they are referring to symbolically. Well, and the entire Bible then becomes symbolical and not literal. And if you if you take that look at it, it changes totally the message that it is that it is meant to give us and it, it in many ways the Bible restricts us when it was meant to enlighten us yes but, but, but that is that is down to the, the different levels of meaning that we failed to penetrate and the, the, the different levels of meaning that, that we are being taught to believe as truth are stories that hide that hide the truth. And it's only when you dig to a certain level of stratum, in other words, different levels of, 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 of the same thing, that you start looking at Hebrew uh, topology and, and different things. But there are multiple levels of the Bible. There are multiple levels of meaning of these sacred words. And until you get to the correct level, you will not understand the Bible. If anybody who believes that they can pick up a Bible and read it like a book and understand it, are in error. They are really, really in error. For one, they are reading it from left to right, when mystically they read and write from right to left, because that is taking them back towards their heart center, their spiritual center, Whereas if you read or write from left to right, you are taking yourself away from your spiritual center, which is your heart. So you will never understand the Bible if you read it like a book. You will never understand the Bible unless you look beyond the stories. And it is our responsibility to do that. And it's our responsibility to, to realize that Noah, that Moses, that all of these 
famous stories and characters of the Bible are codes. And they are codes for each and every one of us as an, an enlightened or potentially enlightened being. You'll never find the treasure of the Bible unless you dig deep enough. For, but for those who actually wrote it, did they know what they were writing or <clears throat> were they tapping into a different level within themselves to write an allegory that for some would be a, a guidebook and for others the, the, the key to understanding the enlightenment that we have within? Well, the, the Bible and such like is a work of genius and it was written in such a way <clears throat> that those with the sacred knowledge by using symbols, by using letters from words to create other words, they were basically confusing the uninitiated reader. Only those who were initiated into the sacred mysteries would actually understand the true meaning of the Holy Writ. And those outside of those initiation processes would not understand what the Bible was telling them. They would get an exoteric version of an esoteric truth. So they, they were people of a higher level of awareness that were encrypting their secret knowledge. One, to protect it. Two, to communicate between themselves and keep the information within themselves. And for three, to stop the sacred information getting into the wrong hands. And it is only when you look and get, get yourself into the mind of the writer and understand what they were explaining and understanding the secrets of their particular society can you only then can you understand the messages that they were encrypting that is the only way well, that you can unlock the door well it, it's it's well known that the, the the names on the different books of the Bible were not written by those people. Um, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, because a lot of those people were illiterate. Um, so, theoretically, if they, if they did exist in the physical. But, but it seems that... <coughs> I'm wondering. I, I'm wondering about those people that wrote, that actually wrote the material. If they were connected somehow to the elongated skull race in order to put the information into that order, or if they were initiated within themselves, sort, sort of coming into this lifetime with a mission to create a roadmap for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. And it was exactly that, because, as I say, when, when you look at the contents of the Bible and the hidden meaning of the Bible, I have found the same hidden meanings in the Giza Plateau of Egypt. So therefore, what we now know as the likes of Christianity, Biblical Christianity, came from Egypt. It came through from Egypt through the Hebrews, through the Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism, into what we now know as Christianity. However, it is the same message that was inside the Giza Plateau of Egypt. So, you can say 
that it is connected to the elongated skulls because they were the ones that encrypted the sacred knowledge into the Giza Plateau, the universal mathematical knowledge. It's, it's the same as saying that you can find correlation in Greek philosophy to what they were saying in Egypt. And how is that possible? Because many of the, the famous Greek philosophers, such as Socrates, such as Pythagoras, were initiates of Egyptian mystery schools. And they took that knowledge into or back to Greece. And that formulated the civilization, you know, Athena, which means knowledge, uh, Crete, which means creation. All of this, this Egyptian mystery knowledge was taken back by the Greek philosophers to Greece. So it stands to reason that you can see correlation between Egypt and many, if not all, of the world's civilizations on what they're telling us, because it comes from a central place and it extends outwards. So the Bible correlates to Egypt, ancient Greece correlates to Egypt, masonry correlates to Egypt, the Hebrew and Kampala correlates to Egypt. You have obelisks on the moon, you have pyramids on the moon, you have pyramids on Venus, you have pyramids on Mars, you have the face on Mars that mathematically is an exact replica of the face of the Sphinx. It is all a gigantic correlation of knowledge and wisdom. And you will find that written, although expressed differently, it is written throughout the world. Because it is the same knowledge, the same epicentre of knowledge that has expanded from that epicentre. Well, if you take almost all religions, they all, and you take them down to their very fundamental beginnings, they all have, have a, a, they have the, the golden rule basically as the foundation, and upon them was created a religion for that particular culture. Um, but, but it does appear that, that when you look at that, everything is an allegory. Everything has a message that is more on a personal level than than on a you know it, it, it's all speaking to you to remember to remember to reignite what you carry within and and to sort of open that portal to the understanding of the dimensions <coughs> of the spirit that is carried within the spark of the infinite that is carried within um my personal philosophy is that uh, that's what our journey is through time. To to not only recognize the spark, but to coax it into a flame. And it is, and, and, sim, and, and symbols and geometry do communicate on that level and do help you to remember. And as I said, all, all the religions, all the, the ethos of the religions, all the, the ancient world connects to that ethos of religions because that's where it comes from and you know when you say that you know we have the Abrahamic religions which is your Christianity which is your Islamic which is your Judaism and you say that they they are the main Abrahamic religions of the world but Abraham is a title Abraham is a title for a high priest of Brahma so when you look at Abraham and you look which is really Abraham, and you just juggle the letters around, it becomes Brahma anyway. So Abraham is the title of the priests of Brahma, which then brings Hinduism into the main religions. <clears throat> they are 
the same thing. They are worshipping the same gods under different names, which are not really gods, they're magical formulas. And the way in which you say these words, the way in which you pronounce these names, you can speak in the multiple realities of existence just by uttering a name. And that is what they are doing. They are evoking deities or entities, but they are magical formulas, they are not gods. And when you look at the names of the Bible, they are translated into different names because that's exactly what they are. They are cold words. And when you understand Nautar Akin and, and, and Tamura, which are Hebraic ways in which you jumble letters up or you change letters or you, or you take words from words, you understand that they are all magical formulas and that various shapes such as circles, triangles and squares are magical spaces in which to evoke these in invisible inhabitants and control them within that sacred space. We are not worshipping gods, we are saying magical formulas. So, so in essence, there is only one. So, so in essence, sorry. so in essence, the universe is a symphony of creation. The universe is a sound, and that sound is amplified in different ways. In the same yeah. way as an orchestra projects a symphony, which gives you, you know, the different sections of the orchestra. Everything is sound. The word of God is sound. The breath of God is the life of the universe, which is Jesus Christ, which is a title, not a name. And that is Osiris, which is a title, not a name. And Isis, which is a title, not a name. And all of these things are different sounds. They are different combinations of letters, which are oscillations of color, which are attaching you to different levels of creation. And different words said in different audible ways connect you to different parts of the creative process where you can actually bypass should we say the negative lower astral realm by having indentations on a pyramid and striking the stones to create a certain sound you change the octave by having indentations and you bypass the negative lower worlds so all of these things we have completely misunderstood and we've allowed people to tell us who to worship and it is our responsibility to start going back to basics and to start understanding what we've been doing wrong for so long. Well, that, that would explain why they haven't been able to find any instruments that, that have created any of these structures or the Avery Plains with all of those stones there. Um, do, do you have any ex explanation for... Avery, how yeah. the purpose yeah. of it? <clears throat> well, basically, stone comes from the word for giant. So what uh -huh. they are doing, the, the, the biblical giants are really talking about the stones, the monoliths around the world. And what they are signifying is the contact with the stars and the meteorites of heaven. So when a certain star or meteorite falls to earth, that then becomes part of these monoliths, which is then a connection to heaven. So when you start looking at Stonehenge, again, there is not one particular reason 
Avebury, Ave, Eve means serpent. So the avenue, avenue Ave, is basically the, the serpentine movement of the sun. That then leads to the concentric circle of electromagnetic energy. But the word arc in Egyptian means a circle or an enclosed circle. So what we are looking at is a representation of Noah's Ark on Earth floating around the ah. celestial waters. And that is the same with Galbekli Tepe, which means the belly or the stomach, which relates to the navel, which relates to the boat, which relates to the Ark. So what we have is miniature replicas of Noah's Ark, which is the celestial Ark of Heaven, that we float through the celestial waters. And that is what they are representing in terms of their stone being from heaven, being from the stars from heaven, connecting. They are the biblical giants on earth, which are the stars or the meteorites that have fallen. So with Stonehenge, same with anything else, there's multiple meanings, but in essence we are looking at a miniature Noah's Ark or a representation of the Ark that floats the celestial waters of heaven. It, it does give you a whole new um, perspective of the purpose of incarnation and the destiny of the, hum, the human species. It does because, again, certain things are going to happen. And as a species, we either get ourselves ready for that, otherwise we get taken by surprise. But our future, our timeline, is really down to ourselves. The same as all of this always has been. You know, but there's no savior coming out of the clouds on a white horse. There's no UFO that's going to land on the lawn of the White House and save us. Because that we, we the, the only person that can save us is ourselves. We are our own saviors. And again, looking at the, the you know the word savior in different languages. If you look at Samaria, the word Saviour or salvation. Sal means the womb. And when you walk into a church and you see the pointed archways, it represents the yoni, which represents the womb. So it's telling us that when we're inside the church, we are the fetuses, we are the children of initiation. And when we walk out of the yoni of the church, we are the reborn. We are the resurrected. But we are returning to the cosmic womb which is the womb of the mysteries, which is the knowledge of the cosmos. And when you look at the Milky Way, milk, mother's milk, when you look at the word galaxy, gala means milk. So that is the cosmic womb. And, you know, when you see the likes of Donald Trump when he used to do certain hand symbols, that is what, he, that is what he's representing, the return to the cosmic womb, which is the womb mysteries, which is the universal knowledge which is your Hall of Records, your Akashi Records, your Universal Library that is beyond the five sense consciousness. So our destiny is in our own hands and it is for us to understand how to get there. And how you get there is by working on yourself and by mastering yourself and by mastering your thoughts and using that divine nothingness in between thinking and speaking to decide whether or not it's a good idea or is it appropriate to say what you were going to say? Or 
do you return back to silence and say nothing? Because that is yours to own. And when you start to control yourself and you start to master your mind, then you will use that space to make a good and wise decision. But that's all part of the strict self-observation, the strict discipline of self, and to become on a path of initiation to get to the higher places. Because humanity, in, 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 in sound, in, in the sense of octaves and sound, have simply become out of tune. If you imagine that between the highest heavens and earth, there is a double octave, which means that there is an extremity between the highest heavens and earth. Now you look at the sun, the sun is the lowest octave of the higher heavens, and the earth is the lower octave of the sun. So we are considerably distant from where we should be. We have become out of tune, and we need to retune ourselves and get back on the scale of frequency to elevate us back. And that is our it's, task. You, you know, you, you, said, you have said that, you know, we didn't come from Earth. Where did we come from? I mean, initially we're a spark of the un of, of of creation. Got that. But is yeah. is this well, our first trip into physical, or have we as spirits been in other places at other times? Well, we we certainly will be if we haven't already. What 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 my understanding is, and scientists from the east are now beginning to realise this that that human DNA. It's not junk. It is DNA. It is coded. And it is that there are coded messages within DNA that we're now only beginning to discover some of them. But there's a lot more yet to discover. So there's basically a message being written in, in, in genetics. Now that message has been written from the stars, from the universe, from the cosmos. It is not from Earth. It is not of earthly origin. Now when you look at the carbon and the oxygen that has created the physical body, that has come from an exploded star in the Orion constellation. So, we are really a continued existence of a star that has died. Now that star lives on in us in a different form, because nothing can ever really die. <clears throat> so when we have a child, child gives us chi, which is a life force energy, but we also call our children youngsters, which in essence we are calling them young stars because they come from the Orion Nebula in terms of the carbon and the oxygen, which is called the triple alpha effect. Their carbon and their oxygen of their physical body comes from Orion and the encoded information, genetic information of their genetics comes from the universe or even beyond the universe. So we are not originally from Earth. Our composite parts are not from Earth. And that is what yeah, I meant by humans are not from Earth. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> Because we're not. Are there... No, I, I, I think... I, I saw a, a report at one point that did indicate that uh, the DNA that we carry within us is older than the earth is so obviously we had to come from somewhere else um, so are there other places 
where different allegories are being different allegories to that particular culture, race, species um, are unfolding. Is this did these did these wise people that were here um, are they sort of like a spiritual Johnny Appleseed that go universe to universe, planet to planet, uh, giving giving seeds of wisdom so that a culture or a species um, can evolve to greater spiritual awareness? Precisely that. And when you look at the different monuments and monoliths and on, on the different planets of the solar system, um, of the belief that they were put there by the same people because once we've evolved enough to be able to get there to see them, then of course we'll be able to work out you know, the, the, the information of these particular places. And the Sidonian city on planet Mars is the perfect example of that, where the face of the Sphinx, which, sorry, the, the, the face of Mars, which is an exact mathematical copy of, of the Sphinx of Egypt, within the longitude and latitude coordinates of the face on Mars, it tells you how to find Stonehenge. You get the longitude and latitude coordinates of the Great Pyramid, which tells you how to find the five-sided pyramid on Mars, etc., etc. That they basically left a longitude and latitude mathematical satellite navigation system uh, throughout the solar system. So it is the same group who are advanced, who are leading humanity on a, on a trail of breadcrumbs to greater things. Bear in mind that we are currently in the lower world of lessons and we can use this time to evolve. The whole reason that matter was created was so that spirit had the resistance to evolve. Mm-hmm. Because everything minus anything is no longer everything. And in order for the creative force to be everything, it has to experience everything. So matter is the resistance that enables spirit, the Lord of God, to grow and develop. Well, in antiquity, we certainly, you know, I, I can see where the, the levels of understanding and, and enlightenment are there. What about with crop circles? Because they seem to be current, and yet, you know, it it really feels as though there there are messages there. There are purposes to the patterns. And um, aside from making great calendars, people aren't paying much attention to their purpose. But w- what is the purpose of them? Obviously, uh, crop circles are messages of some sort. Who leaves them and yes. for why? Well, inside crop circles, you have sonic messages. And you have sentences and letters and words within the sound waves of crop circles. When you look at the elements and the invisible inhabitants of the elements, which we call elementals, some of them, such as the fire elements, the salamanders, are trying to communicate with humans and trying to help our evolution. Crop circles... I have seen some of them being formed by balls of light that have scientists have even acknowledged have an independent intelligence of communication between the plasma balls of light that are seen forming the crop circles. They are salamanders, which are the elements of fire. Now, 
the ancients used to call this a spiritual fire or a firebird. In other words, it is fire that does not burn because it is a spiritual fire. And they replicated that or symbolized that with white horses. Now, when you look all around the UK, you'll see white chalk horses. They are symbolizing the firebirds, the spiritual fire that does not burn. These are what are, uh, are creating crop circles. Now, some of these white chalk horses of the UK have been dated as over 3,000 years of age. So you can say with confidence that the crop circle phenomena is at least that old, where these invisible inhabitants of the fire element are trying to communicate and help us. And what you have, again, crop circles, they are, should you say, frozen sound. They are the sound of the environment. The same as a snowflake. When you see a beautiful geometry of a snowflake, that is sound frozen. So it is sound, and every sound has a shape. And that is why crop circles have different shapes. They have different patterns, because they are sound. Uh, but within that sound, there is a language within the sound waves. Now, for anybody that doesn't believe that, have a look into the works of the likes of Mozart, the famous composer, because uh -huh. he famously used to encrypt words and messages inside the sound waves of his symphonies. And scientists are now being able to do the same inside human DNA. We are being communicated with being helped. I, I, I've had the pleasure or honor, I think, of being able to uh, be in at least one, at least one crop circle. And yes. there was such a feeling of, of peace and quiet and stillness. It was almost a, a, if it makes sense to you, it, it, it was a stillness that was loud in that it it just it made everything so quiet it gave you the opportunity to aside from taking a nap of going inside of yourself and it's almost as though the crop circle took away the barriers between um, consciousness and higher consciousness so that you you were able to tap into greater levels of awareness and creativity in the atmosphere that that the crop circle created. So in a way, Correct. crop circles become a chamber for initiation or enlightenment. Correct, because the different shapes, the different sounds elevate you to, to different levels of creation. And, and I too have also been inside a crop circle that has, that has just been formed. And if you imagine that these places are normally just open fields, so there's no protection from the wind or the elements. And it was a particularly uh -huh. cold and wet and windy morning. But inside the crop circle itself, there was like a static buzz of warmth. Yeah. And it, it sort of protected you. And it, it's almost like an invisible sphere of influence that is, that is, that is secluding you from your normal environment. 
it, you know, I got, I got, I got almost the same. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that there's multiple levels of, of communication going on inside these these sacred spaces. I I got almost the same, and there was a smell of ozone too, which I found fascinating. Um, I almost got the same feeling when going into a lot of the. Um, I used to live in the Northeast, where all of the stone chambers were that they can't figure out where they came from and what they what their purpose was. And, and I almost got the same type of feeling when in the stone chambers, um, like a cone of silence had fallen over you, like like there was a, a sense of peace and and quiet and tranquility. So that, um, and I don't know what their purpose is. All I know is that they weren't what everybody says they are. So um, it's it's sort of almost as though they're giving us. <coughs> the opportunity to utilize the symbols, the frequencies, to um, absorb them into our own core and use them to activate certain areas and levels of awareness that we have within us. Um, I don't understand. I, I, can, I can understand. Um, the U.S., you know, we don't have the crop circles here in this country that that you have over there, but we have the chambers, and which are, of yeah. course, being destroyed happily, you know, by, by industrialization. So, so are there, are there in, in different places, in different cultures, are there different forms of here's a chamber, here's a way that you can trigger, you know, the, the, the elements within you, um, are they are they adaptable for the cultures that they're they're being turning up in? In other words, is there something something beyond us sending us opportunities to to experience the enlightenment aside from what's been left by time? Is there is there are there signals still being sent to us from wherever to help us to to wake up? Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I say, there's no one singular purpose for, for any anything. But in essence, they were, say, chambers, spaces, sacred space, in which to transcend what is human. And they were put there for that purpose. They were they were used by the ancients to develop them and to transport them but they're also there for those who came behind or, or came after the ancients to also understand so that they too can transcend and that is really the importance is is in the understanding because you know the likes of the altar stone at Stonehenge which is above a natural water water uh-huh. as I said remembers information. Now, when you look at Egyptian, some Egyptian pictures and you see what is known as the Was Scepter, which is spelled W-A-S, if you look at the bottom of that scepter, you will see a tuning fork. Now, when they used to strike stones with that tuning fork, they used to create vibration. 
that vibration not only healed, but it transcended people. But it was only the people who had gone through the initiation who were advanced enough and expanded enough to be able to tolerate it. And that is why it was all done in temples, by initiates, by high priests, by pharaohs who had also been initiated by high priests, because they were the masters of sound. They were there. They were the only ones that were qualified to to do these things in safety, in a safe environment, with the people who had spent years developing themselves in order to be able to to, to be level with the undiluted divine energies that these devices brought into their body. So, in essence, you know, there, there were several meanings for everything, but they were initiation places. They were chambers of portals. They were chambers of transcendency from the human condition to the spiritual potential. And of course, one would have to let go of preconceived theories and be open to uh, a vast, a, a greater vast awareness. But but you know, quite a quite a battle for a lot of people to let go of um, that which has held them back because it's comfortable and they know in order to get a greater awareness of the journey of the spirit. Of course, and, and part, part of, of, of the spiritual journey is learning to step out of your own way. Uh-huh. And not allowing, not allowing, you know, your five sense consciousness that basically <laughs> feeds your brain the world or what the world is, which is not what it is at all. It's a projection of what's inside you. <clears throat> so if you step outside of your own way, <clears throat> then you allow yourself to transcend. You know, you allow yourself to have the wings of the ancient statues, which are talking about. You know, humans having the ability and the powers within them to transcend beyond what is human. So step out of your own way and allow things to flow in and work on yourself, work on your mind, work on what you say, work on the four elements within you in order to become the pentagram, which is the one that rises above the four, the four elements of creation, to become the fifth element, which is the return to the, the life force, which is the ether. <coughs> It's it's often it amuses me greatly that people think that visiting you know other planets and other solar systems is something that will be done in a tin can. It to me makes greater sense that it's it's a it's a it's a transcendental type of shifting of consciousness and then taking the, taking the physical with you. That that kind of travel is something that is not scientifically developed; it's spiritually evolved. Yeah, and, and, and the way in which I look at things are, you know, the, the, the positive ETs are, in my view, advanced spiritual humans, and of course, they have a, an interest in in what's going on because uh-huh. <clears throat> this is what they've left in order to transcend. Now, you have different levels of existences. You have, you know, the technologically advanced who can get here, wherever here is, on these craft. 
but they are not yet spiritually developed enough to not need the craft in which to travel. So you then have those who don't need the craft to travel because they are multi-locational, multi-dimensional entities that can travel through the portal or travel to any dimension, which again is a sound, is a vibration. <clears throat> all dimensions, all frequencies, all timelines are a sound. So you have the, the multiple realities, the multiple existences that are forever around us. You know, we, we look in outer space for these things when we should be looking at inner space. Yeah. <clears throat> That's where they are. And again, you know, going back to the archaeology, looking at, you know, if you are if you are looking in the wrong place, you will not find what you are looking for. And a lot yeah, of the yeah. UFL community, a lot of the science community are looking in the wrong place. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people who are treasure hunting are looking for something in the physical, <clears throat> and treasure is really etheric. It's awareness. It's the ability to utilize the talents and skills that we have and and use them for the betterment of the planet and humanity. I don't think humanity was meant to stay here, but I'm not sure where we're meant to go. Yeah, I, I think what, what has happened is, is there was a plan there was a timeline, there was a plan. And I think that plan has been hijacked. And I think we are now living we, we are we are now living the hijacker's plan. So at some point the hijackers have to be removed so we can get back to the original plan. And that and that's what we are seeing with with the changes that are happening on Earth at the moment. And I, I do think that we are living in, in a false matrix that has been, you know, we've been hijacked, and the way in which society and our civilization is now designed and geared is, is to keep people in that false matrix by inhumanity, by systems of mind control such as religions, by you know the way in which the world is run, the way in which people are kept down in, in, in negativity, in depression, in debt in living from paycheck to paycheck. All of this is, is taking people further and further and further into material existence. And material existence is the law of matter, which is what we know as Satan. So that is why we and, have the satanic world, the satanic consciousness. Well, yeah, and <clears throat> in a way, humanity at this moment in time is... In, in, it is enslaved. Um, anybody? I, I don't know anyone. I mean, they're sure. I'm sure they're out there. But I mean, it, at the very least, we're enslaved by um, our reliance upon credit cards and, and um, you know, the, the element of money and gathering money and power and stuff like that. And and so, humanity is at this moment in time enslaved very much like the Egyptians were <laughs> in the Bible. Um, so it's a matter of how do you break that enslavement and allow yourself to be spiritually free. And, you know, it's not just, it's not, you're, we're enslaved not only by the materialistic stuff, but, but by the corporate entities of religious organizations where 
where they were founded on purity. They have not be, they have not continued to be pure. They've been corrupted themselves by power and money. Yes, uh, I mean again, it, it's the knowledge of of these things, because without the knowledge of these things, then people will forever be slaves. If you if you don't realise that you're in a prison because it has no bars, it has no windows, then you will be forever happy in a cell because you don't know you're in a cell. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we have a system of money and credit cards. Money doesn't actually exist. It's an illusionary system. You know, when you become aware of these things, you then stand a fighting chance. And we always complicate things that are really simple. <clears throat> it, it, it doesn't get much more simple to stop the slavery. It is one word, it has two letters, and we pronounce it no. And if people turn around, they don't have to loot, they don't have to smash shop windows, they don't have to overturn patrol cars, they can turn around and say, no, I'm not doing this, I am not complying with this. Then there is no system of slavery. There is only a system of slavery because we allow it. Uh-huh. We acquiesce to it. <clears throat> and the moment we stop acquiescing to it, there is no system of slavery. And it really becomes as simple as saying, no. Are you going to be vaccinated? No. <clears throat> Are you going to comply? No. You know, you don't, you don't have to be violent. You don't have to go and riot and, and, and break things. You just say, no. And you say it from a standpoint of knowledge. Because when you have knowledge of the system, the things that are happening to humanity can no longer happen. We don't need a new system. We just need to understand the system. So what seems to be complicated is simple. Well, to get out of a a rut that we've been in for generations and generations and to go in a direction that is so different from what we have been programmed for, um, you're right. It's, you know, it's simple. Say no, just say no. Be Nancy Reagan. But, but the, the understanding, I mean, once you get into the understanding of the philosophy, once you understand where we really came from and what we really are here for, then it's easier. But to just suddenly turn your back on everything, many people have to have something to go from and, of course, go to. And, of course, that's where faith comes in. And um, I do believe that the element of faith plays a great deal in this. I have faith that I will... You know, I am on the right pathway, and a lot. You know, a lot of people have faith they're on the right pathway, and they're not. Yes, I mean, the, the word faith comes from the word fid, which is hidden within the word confidence. So, if you are confident in what you are saying, then you are really a formidable force, because. Uh-huh. People who are armed with knowledge are powerful people. So what does the system then try to do? It tries to give people a false light, a false knowledge. 
and that is your religions, that is your belief systems, because it is a false light. You, you, you're almost infiltrating you know, the most significant parts of society, and by influencing and infiltrating them, you are steering people in the wrong direction. The amount of truth groups that I speak to who will show me a symbol which they say satanic, it's not satanic at all. You've just been fed a lie and you've run with that lie. <clears throat> the amount of Christians and people of different faiths that I speak to who say you're a blasphemer. Okay, do you understand what the word blaspheme means? And they'll say no. I said, well then why are you using it? Because blasphemer means to uproot. And what that means at a deeper level is you go back to, to, to the tree where the roots of the tree, because they are unseen, symbolize sacred knowledge. <clears throat> so therefore, if you are a blasphemer, you are simply uprooting that which is concealed into public view. So yes, I am a blasphemer, and I am proud of that. Don't use words you don't understand. People call you a conspiracy theory. <clears throat> What's, what, what, do you know what conspiracy means? They're saying no. Well, maybe you should find out before you speak. <clears throat> because conspiracy conspire means to breathe together and what does that mean Jesus Christ the bridge between man and God the breath of God anything with the word spire aspire conspire expire spire of a church means breath <clears throat> your ignorance is no defense if you're gonna if you're gonna call me these words these names understand what you're saying uh -huh. <clears throat> and that's what that's what it all boils down to people have allowed themselves to be misaligned with truth they're not taking responsibility for themselves the very system that they're trying to escape from is a system that they embrace because it is their safety net that control is their safety net because to then rock the boat, you then have to take responsibility and you then have to do something about it. <clears throat> you have to stand like, like the legs of the bed, as the Bible tells you. <clears throat> you have to stand upon your own foundation. But people don't want to do that. So they're happy to be enslaved. It is down to us. It is down to ourselves to escape. Yeah. No, it, it, it's <clears throat> for them it's safe and and you know it's I think what happens is that some people just suddenly start questioning and you know when you question when you investigate when you look into things more intricately you do you do begin to feel a different sense of new direction and new awareness and I know that, that um, I'm living in, in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt here in Nashville. And, you know, there, there are fundamentalists all around. And, you know, happily, happily in the, er the area that I am, everyone is very accepting of other people's belief systems and philosophies. So, you know, I, they aren't burning me, at, you know, in effigy or anything like that. But, but it's, it's sort of it's, it's amazing to see the determination that some people have 
to not look deeper, to, to keep things superficial. This is what the Bible says. Yeah. This is what I do. And, and yeah. you know, sometimes it's an older generation, and maybe that's what they have to believe now. And when they return, they probably were, will have a different philosophy because it will be a different time, a different body, a different spirit. Not a different spirit, same spirit, but a different perspective on life. I do, I do believe that there are more people that are questioning today than there ever have been. And not only that, but people are freer to step beyond the restrictions of the organized religions and, and take that material and then look at it and, and stretch it and understand that there's greater wisdom inside them. I think, I think your book is a wonderful guidebook for people to, to look at, to, um, to see if it fits them, to, to, to do their own investigation. And certainly you give them all of the math so that, so that if they, if they want to you know, do it themselves, they can. Of course, you've done it for them. But sometimes people have to do it themselves just to prove that, that your, your philosophy holds water. Yeah, and, and, and I would encourage that. And I would encourage people to question because a question has a vibration, but there is an answer with the same vibration, same vibration as the question. So when you start asking high vibrational questions, then you start to get high vibrational answers. And those vibrational answers are coming into your vessel and they are elevating your frequency. So I would encourage people to ask questions and to research what I've researched <clears throat> and tap into the Universal Library, which is what I do, because it is there for people who see beyond the five sense illusion to connect to. So I would certainly get people to and, and encourage people to look into it for themselves. Uh, because then you understand it better. <clears throat> you know, when, when I used to do maths at school and you come to your, your test and your exam, you used to get X amount of points for coming up with the answer, but you used to get more points if you could show the formula in order to get that answer. <clears throat> so the majority of the points were in the formula, not the answer itself. But if you... I can give the answer, but you'll understand it more and you'll get more points for yourself if you work out the formula, because then it is completion. You have all the information. So I would always encourage people to not take anything at face value, to look into it themselves. It is, it is a door. I've opened a door, but it is for each individual to walk through it if they wish. Well, in many ways, too, you've planted the seed of not <coughs> doubt, but of curiosity. And... Um, I mean, for me, doubt is is an absolute rejection of, but curiosity is a let me let me check this out and see if it floats. And I think you've put it in such a way that that people will try it on, will look into it and go a little bit further than they've gone before. Um, I find that that you you hit so many targets with this book. I mean, you went from Jesus Christ to Santa Claus for heaven's sakes. Um, you know, you, you yeah. covered a lot of ground. 
Well, I mean, Jesus Christ and Santa Claus are, are the two most famous characters in the world. <clears throat> and yeah. when you realise that's true meaning, that, you know, I, I said before about Jesus being the circular breath or the breath of God, the divine breath, which is the connection between man and God, which is best, best affected through the vehicle of breath. <clears throat> but when you look at the word Christ, it relates to the word seed. And the word seed is the beginning of anything. And what I'm presenting is, is a new seed in order for people to understand the Christ, which is the rebirth, yeah. the one, the cause. <clears throat> and that's what I'm doing in, in, in a literal form, a literal way. Uh, people are being shown what these things really are and what they're really telling us, and you can accept it or not. You know, as I said, it's evidenced in there. It, 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 the, the, the truth stands up for itself. It doesn't need, need me to represent it. It just needs me to write it down so that people can read it and understand it. Well, and like I said, I think it's a book that that you need to read more than once in order to actually, you know, and read slowly because you you give a tremendous amount of material um, and and it it needs to be uh, gestated. It needs to be digested and use it as an, an elixir to awakening. Um, I just noticed our time. Um, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It, this has been fascinating. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And, and as I say, it, it's, it's elevating people from the human condition to a much greater, much more advanced, much more wise and knowledgeable place. And these platforms such as this that enable me to do that. I write books because books are basically for the reader at the reader's pace. And uh, you want it is a wonderful medium. Is, is there a, a place where they can get a hold of you? Is there a website they can look at to check out further, further stuff of yours? Yeah, the, the best place to go would be my website, which is michael-feely.com. And okay. everything you could need, you know, links to social media, to YouTube, and all different things are contained there. So that's probably the best place to go. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to having you on again, to reading your next book, and, and seeing how, how much further you go. Thank you so much for being here today and, and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your investigation with with us. It's been a sheer pleasure. No, thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure for me as well, so, so thank you. Okay, good evening now. And thank you, everybody, for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. And please check out his book, Alchemy of the Gods, and, uh, and his other books as well. Um, you won't be disappointed. It is definitely an amazing journey and an awakening on many different levels. Thanks so much for being here. Good night.